Hi, and welcome to the Writers Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I'll be speaking with author Susan Cushman, author of the novel Cherry Bomb, the memoir Tangles and Plaques, a mother and daughter face Alzheimer's, and editor of a new nonfiction anthology entitled Southern Writers on Writing. How's it going today, Susan? Great. How are you, David? I'm doing well. Just dealing with the, the southern hot summers, as I'm sure you, you know and deal with directly as well. Absolutely. Here in Memphis and my hometown of Jackson, Mississippi, it's all I've ever known. I know, exactly. Well, uh, to kind of dive in, uh, you have just edited a book uh, entitled Southern Writers on Writing, and I'm really interested to hear about how that project came to be and what got you interested in it. Sure. I had um, edited a, a different anthology, uh, A Second Blooming, Becoming the Women We're Meant to Be, which I did with Mercer University Press. And I had so much fun with that. I mean, I spent years on my novel, Cherry Bomb, and it was just so difficult. And putting together an anthology was just fun. So as that project was gone to press, I immediately wanted to do another one and was talking with one of the my author friends who contributed to that. And together we kind of came up with the idea to do one on Southern writers about writing. And um, I wanted to have men and women in this one since my previous one only had women. So, of course, the first thing I did was Google it. I thought, surely this has been done. Hmm. And it actually had not been done with contemporary Southern writers. So I was off and running. That's really interesting. And, you know, the South is such an intricate and kind of diverse place at this point. I'm really interested in how you went about uh, asking people for submissions and how you kind of balance the structure and, and the people that you're asking. Yeah, sure. It was important to me to have control over that. So I didn't do an open call for submissions. I handpicked the people I wanted to invite. And I wanted as much diversity as possible, um, not just racially, but as far as the type of books people read. I ended up with four African-American authors, four or five people who are poets in addition to writing fiction, several who um, focus more on nonfiction. So the thing they all have in common is they either live in the South or they're from the South, and they are all published authors, of course, I wanted as many to be fairly well known as possible because that draws more readers to the book. I could not have been more thrilled with the 13 women and 13 men who I ended up with in the collection. I was just, I was humbled by people like Clyde Egerton who wrote a, a new essay for me and Lee Smith wanted to and said she didn't have time and could I use something from one, from something she had already written. Just generous spirits of these people wanting to jump in and be part of the project. I was just thrilled. Oh, that's great. That's part of why I love interviewing writers and dealing with writing communities is because people are pretty generous as a rule of thumb for the most part. Yeah, they really are. They really are. I only had a couple of people turn me down. One was doing a, a, a trip in Europe when she had deadlines and she couldn't meet. Other couple of people were either book touring or had deadlines on their own books that they just couldn't add it in. But um, and like an example is Bethan Finley, who's a poet laureate of Mississippi, just didn't have time to contribute, but she ended up writing this fabulous blurb uh, for the book that's on the cover of the book. So that was that was generous of her, too. Yeah, no, I, I, exactly, exactly. Um, and this book is divided into six sections? Right. And tell me a little bit how you kind of divided those sections and kind of wanted to structure the book. Did you have that planned out before, or were you really waiting to see what you got from people? 
I waited to see what I got. I gave them a pretty broad brush um, idea about what to write about. I said, just write about anything that has to do with being Southern and being a writer. I gave them a few ideas, you know, that how place informs your writing, place, race, politics, the weather, uh, drama, you know, just whatever you want to write about, craft, the craft of writing or anything. And so it was really fun when I saw them coming in the um the different sections just sort of came to me as I began to organize them into sections um everything from becoming a writer to becoming a southern writer to place and politics and people to uh the craft of writing and then a section I call uh, a little help from my friends which harks back to that community you were talking about earlier the community of writers I think we really do help each other no, I agree. Um, were there any favorites that you found when you were getting the submissions in? Yeah, actually, um, the, I opened the book with, um, drawing a blank for just a moment, with um, Jim Dees off the deep end. Jim is the host of Sacramento Radio down in Oxford, Mississippi, and he had published a couple of books, but he's known more as being a radio host and not so much as being a writer. Mm-hmm. But I just thought his writing was terrific, and I knew that there would be some humor in it. So I opened the book with his his um, story, Off the Deep End, which was how becoming a writer was, was like going off the deep end of a diving board for him. And there was just great humor in it, but it was also serious at the same time. So I opened the book with that one, and then I closed it, so this is kind of bookends, with Michael Ferris Smith's book, I mean um, essay, I'm trying to remember the name of it, uh, Keep Trucking, because he talks about how he almost gave up on being a writer and how hard it was getting rejected, not getting out there, and then the things that turned him around from that. And since the book is not only geared to readers but also to to writers who are trying to to, um, write and get published, I wanted to close the book with something that would encourage everybody to keep trucking, which was the name of it. No, I think that's important. Um, how did you kind of balance from the editorial standpoint kind of the more uh, technical writing things versus trying to get it for more generalized readers as well, just that kind of want to maybe not have as deep a dive as maybe a professional writer would? Yeah, I actually got some feedback. University Press of Mississippi published the book, and they do peer review. So two of their peer readers gave me feedback on the collection as I was editing, which was just Really, really helpful. I love working with university presses for that reason. And there was a concern expressed about how a couple of the essays were a lot more academic and technical. One of them even maybe called out to have endnotes, um, footnotes, and others were just more anecdotal and um, just, you know, lighter. And I just really felt like that didn't matter because the book wasn't claiming to be in one vein or the other. Yeah. You know, and in editing, uh, the ones that were a little more technical, I didn't. I chose not to use footnotes. You know, I thought it would be strange to have that just in some of them. But I like the fact that Sonia Livingston's essay on voice in four parts was something that someone who's writing would really dig into, um, you know, as opposed to maybe John Floyd in The Land of Cotton, which was more more sweet and sentimental and just more entertaining. So, um, the, and the editing process was 
so easy. I was a little nervous about it, you know, because of the people I was editing. But even like I said, I brought up Clyde Egerton because he's one of the most well-known. And when I sent back my email edits to him and suggestions for a few changes, I was nervous about how he would respond. I got back like a two-liner. He says, good catch. It all looks good to me. I accept all changes. (laughs) Well, you know, that made my job really easy. They weren't all like that. I worked with one. I got one of them back, uh, and she won't mind me saying it because she refers to this in her essay, Suzanne Hudson's. The first essay she sent me, she was really angry. Uh, going through something personally, and the and and the essay was full of too much venom. Yeah. And um, so one of the peer readers even picked up on that too. I sent her the peer reader's response. She wrote a whole new essay oh, wow. and even responded to the fact that yeah, she was she was too angry when she wrote the first one. So you know, fortunately, she's a good friend, and I had a relationship with her that could weather doing something like that and um and her second essay was terrific no i think that's great and and for people that are interested where can they find more information about the book itself well on university press of mississippi's website uh it's also on amazon and it has been uh reviewed several places one of my favorite reviews is on it at chapter 16 Mm. uh, which is a tennessee organization but that review is also in the commercial appeal in April, and it's by Ed Tarkington. Okay. And the name of that review is Against Professional Southerners. And um, I, I really love a lot of the things Ed had to say. Oh, cool. So there are lots of places you can read more about it. Well, that's fantastic. Well, uh, that, that's interesting. Um, I kind of want to talk about you and your, your writing life as well. You've been a writer for, for a long period of time, both in nonfiction, editing things, as well as in uh, a memoir and a novel. Uh, and to kind of start right. that off, I, I really want to hear about um, where where do you write? What's your like ideal writing space at this point? <laughs> I have a wonderful little office that I'm sitting here right now in in our home, with French doors that look out into a little Oriental patio garden, and with lots of light, and uh, and it's just wonderful. It's my my private little space. But I will say that a number of years ago, I really felt the need to get away. Three years in a row, I think this was around 2011, 12, 13, I went away for a month every year and went to Seagrove Beach, Florida, and stayed in a little one-bedroom place right on the beach and wrote for a month. Oh, wow. Each of those years, like in November or February, you know, during the off-season. And that's when I was really working on my novel, Cherry Bomb. And it was incredible. I had never really been anywhere alone. I've been married 48 years. Wow. <laughs> to my husband. I mean, I was 19 when I got married, you know. Yeah. So I've never been alone, never lived alone or been anywhere by myself. And those, those uh, writing retreats were just really wonderful. But now I'm in a place where I'm very happy to write at home, and I'll have plenty of time to do so. No, I get that. I think that that solitude is really important, and a lot of people don't have as many opportunities for that. I, you said, you know, never getting the opportunity to live alone. I, I feel that myself. I've always had roommates or been with a partner of my family, and so sometimes it's very hard to kind of make that function and be in a place with other people in your life and, you know, the other right. room and kind of get into that space. Right. Well, I also waited until my children were grown to really dive into this. My third child went away to college in 2001, and that's when I dove into first painting and then writing. So I've had now 17 years with no children at home. And my grandchildren are in Denver. So I'm not, you know, I don't see them every 
week. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I really do have, I'm thankful. This is my day job. Mm-hmm. I'm very blessed. I know a lot of writer friends who have other day jobs and right on top of that. And my hat's off to them. I'm, I'm very blessed that this is my day job. Yeah, no, I get that. Do you, um, do you have any rituals that you do before you start? Is there like a cup of coffee on the desk or anything that you need? <laughs> really not at all. And, and not even a schedule. Um, sometimes I'll start writing first thing in the morning, which isn't early. I don't get up until about 730. I'm not an early bird. Sometimes I'll dive in and write for several hours then. Other times I'll spend some time on social media for a while first. Uh, run errands first and don't write till the afternoon. Yeah. It's just it's just very subjective and and it's not a schedule. And when I have a project going and I'm really driven, I might be writing six or eight hours or at the computer working six or eight hours. When I'm kind of not on a deadline or kind of just sort of working on a new project, I may only be at the computer three or four hours a day. Okay. So I- you know, it's just no schedule. Free, free flowing. I like that. That's good. Um, going going back to Southern Writers on Writing, is there anything that you read in there while you're editing that kind of has not revolutionized, but like has really kind of like clicked on a light bulb for you in your own writing practice? You know, I think the, the essay that, that maybe did that the most for me was Catherine Clark's essay, The Burden of Southern Literature, mm. because Catherine's from Birmingham. She went to a private school. She didn't grow up in a rural area. There's so much about Southern literature that's, you know, Uncle James in the pickup truck shot the squirrel and Mama died. And, you know, it's it's that rural uh, Southern thing that Catherine felt like she couldn't be a Southern writer because she didn't live that. and She wasn't around that and didn't experience it. I didn't either. I'm a city girl. So for years, she was trying to figure out how to be a Southern writer. And finally, a professor told her, told her, just be a good writer, write what you know, and you do live in the South. And she ended up with a series, The Headmaster's Darlings, that Pat Conroy's imprint published. And she won a Willie Morris Award for Southern Fiction for her first in that series. And they take place in a elite private school in Birmingham. And there's nothing about, you know, the woods or the pickup trucks or, or anything backwoodsy about it at all. And I appreciated that because I'm I'm not in that ilk. I can't do Larry Brown, Barry Hanna, you know, those people, my, my friend Tom Franklin, and even Michael Ferris Smith, whom I love, and I love his writing. But they've, they've experienced different lives. And, and it was almost fake to try to be a Southerner in a fake way. I think Ed Tarkington said in his review that um, he also loved Catherine Clark's um, essay and said, uh, please, when she said, please don't turn into a professional Southerner. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> no, I'm with that. I thought that's important and interesting. Um, yeah. Kind of going back to your own writing, I know you wrote a really deeply personal memoir about uh your mother's experience with Alzheimer's um, and right. kind of going back and forth. Uh, tell me a little bit about the process of writing that I know is based off of blog posts that you did during the time. Um, but what was it like to really touch on something so deeply personal and traumatic in a lot of ways? Yeah, that's an, that's an unusual thing. I, I had no thought of writing a book. 
about it. And for eight years, when my mom was, she was um, first in assisted living and then in a nursing home in Jackson, Mississippi, and I was dealing with all of her transitions and care and finances and everything all those years because my father died young. And um, so I started, I had a blog, I've had a blog for 11 years, and I, I started blogging about it. And And after eight years, I realized I had 60 blog posts that were uh, timely, you know, that were written right as it was happening. And actually, a friend of mine who loved my blog said, why don't you turn these into a book? And once I had the idea, it was the easiest project. The hard part was living it those eight years, you know. And, And I love to write about stuff that I am living. I'm a very confessional writer, and I love memoir. But once I decided to put it together, I just took those 60 blog posts, did very little editing because I wanted to keep the immediacy of the voice, found a small press out of Dallas who loved it and also didn't require much editing, wrote an introduction, and it was published, Tangles and Plaques, A Mother and Daughter Face Alzheimer's. So um, that was actually my first book published in January of 2017. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm real proud of that. And like I said, it was the hardest thing to live. But the easiest thing to put together is a book. <laughs> I get that. Did um, what was readers' response to that? Because I know there are a lot of people around the country and, and around the world that have to go through that exact same um, predicament. Uh, did you get a lot of response from readers? Yeah, I still am. A year and a half later, in fact, I just met with an Alzheimer's um, uh, care adult daycare center here in Memphis that has support groups and is having a conference in November and want want me to be a speaker and want me to come speak to their support groups. Probably the largest turnout I've ever had for any of my four books at book events. I had 40 book events last year because I had three books come out in one year. (laughs) But at Square Books in Oxford, I probably had about 80 people there the night I gave the reading from Tangles and Plaques. And I was just blown away because I'm not that well-known writer. And I found out that a woman in Oxford who um, has been overseeing several Alzheimer's support care groups um, invited a bunch of those people to come out for the event. And I continue to get good responses, sometimes by email, sometimes on social media, that it really is touching people. So I'm continuing to market it, um, you know, more almost as a as a, a mission, more than just for the sale of the book, because, you know, hopefully it's helping people. I just discovered a group called All Authors, ALZ authors.com and I've just become a part of that and it's people who've written about Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. it's an online group so anyway yeah I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with that and glad if it can be helpful it's got a lot of um, humor in it because you have to yeah it's not an academic book with a whole lot of resources but it's more about the guts and emotions like and some specifics about things that help if you're in caregiving. Yeah. But it's it's more an emotional, what what this feels like, what this looks like kind of book. No, I get that. I think that's important. And I'm glad that you've gotten a good response from that. Um, you also, one of the three books that you mentioned is your, your first novel, Cherry Bomb. Um, how long was that gestating for you? Was that like a years <laughs> in the works and just you finally got a chance to finish it? Yeah, I started working on it. First, I wrote a memoir. And then I decided I didn't want to go public with some of the things in the memoir, including some sexual abuse and uh, an experience in a cult-like religious group. Mm-hmm. And um, so instead, I decided to let those experiences fuel a novel. And I spent a good six years or more on the novel, partly with writing and revising, partly 
this is kind of a an, an interesting cautionary tale for writers. But um, I, I had a literary agent in New York who was interested in the book, and she sent it out to two different editors, who sent me back very conflicting, confusing um, uh, response to the book. And I'm trying to edit it with their feedback. I mean, like here's how different it was. One of them told me. I should get rid of one of the three main characters. Just get rid of that character. Mm. The other one said that character was the strongest of the three in the book. <laughs> you know, well, what the heck do I do with something like that? Yeah. So, and and more and more, she began to make me want. She was trying to turn the book into hard edge commercial fiction, like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Yeah. I was holding on to it being southern literary fiction with a, a strong spiritual element to it. It has weeping icons in it you know i mean it's it has art and religion and mystery and i was trying to hold on to it so finally i had to quit the literary agent which meant giving up my hopes for possibly getting a book deal with one of the big five i ended up working with a small publisher in mississippi haven't made money on it but i love the book yeah the edit the editing um editing experience with that publisher was great and i'm really pleased with the results of the book so you know sometimes you just have to hold on to yourself and not get caught up in the world of the the commercial aspect of the publishing world yeah that, that that's hard too because like if you get if you get a good editor they could challenge you and push you to do interesting things with it but it sounds like from your experience they were trying to make this book into something that it definitely was not anything where you wanted it to be and that that i right. kind of hate that about modern publishing to where they kind of are publishing in general i don't think this is a, a modern problem necessarily but right. um it's it's part of the machine part of the churn right right um, yeah so to kind of go back to your own interest and likes i'm wondering if you have um if there's a book that you've read and it's one of those books that you keep coming back to uh year and year again or even you know even more than that well, uh, my favorite book of all time and my favorite writer is Pat Conroy. My favorite book is The Prince of Tides. But I've read everything Pat's written, and I go back and back to it, partly because um, he did what I did. He he wrote, he used his personal experience to write fiction. And there was a lot of abuse and a lot of difficult, dysfunctional family stuff there that he turned into, as he would say, a cottage industry of fiction. <laughs> and so that inspired me, as did um, Michael Cunningham's book, The Hours. Uh, when I first started writing Cherry Bomb, I, I was trying to use his pattern of using a historical person, which was, um, I'm drawing a blank on historical person in his um, in his book. Virginia Woolf? Yes, Virginia Woolf. And then a contemporary housewife, and then a, I mean, a contemporary woman, and then a 50s housewife. And I, my book was kind of going back and forth between contemporary, historical, and fictional. But eventually I had to let go of that. That wasn't working for me. And yet that did inspire me and get me kicked off, you know, into, into doing the book. I'm trying to think what else. Most recently, I've been inspired and extremely jealous of my favorite book of last year, which was Before We Were Yours by Lisa Wingate. I don't know Lisa. Lisa, she paid her dues. She she published twenty or thirty novels before she hit a bestseller. But when I read the book, it was not only the best book I read all year, but my first thought was, why didn't I think to write this? Because <laughs> it's it's set in Memphis, where I live. Part of it is set. I live a block from the Mississippi River downtown in Harbor Town, 
and part of it set right there at the river where these these uh these gypsies come up in their boats and their kids are kidnapped it's about the um the scandal the mississippi the tennessee children's home scandal where the kids were abducted and sold on the black market and abused and all of that mm-hmm. and i have three adopted children so I, I get the whole adoption in i live right here and it was just i thought oh that's a story i should have i should have researched and grabbed hold of but she did an incredible job, and it's been a New York Times bestseller. So I've gone back to that to see how she did it, to see what made it not just um, narrative nonfiction, but um, a really good historical fiction book with characters that you just want to keep knowing. And uh, it's just beautifully done. So she's an inspiration to me. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. Um, well, cool. Uh, to to kind of wrap us up, our time is short. I'm wondering what your favorite part of writing is at this point, and also what's one thing that has always been a challenge for you that you have to continually work on? Hmm. Favorite part of writing, this is a funny thing, because uh, Elizabeth Berg says, um, I like to have written, and I, and I agree with that, because sometimes, most of the time, writing is not fun. It's just really hard, and yet I feel driven to do it. Yeah. And I do like starting a new project, and I'm an outliner. I really like outlining it. I love research, research and outlining. But just jumping in and writing that first paragraph and writing that first chapter is the hardest thing because I feel like it has to be wonderful, and often it gets kicked out later and something new comes in there. But my new project is a collection of short stories. I've never, ever written short stories, and for some reason I'm having a ball. They're just coming out quickly. And I'm in love with the project it's called Friends of the Library. It was inspired by my visits to Friends of the Library groups in eight small towns in Mississippi last year. So, you know, maybe this isn't a new genre. I just, you know, I've done memoir, novels, anthologies, essays. So I thought, why not try short stories? Yeah. And it's, it's a whole lot of fun. Having a great time with it. Well, that's awesome, Susan. Well, I'm looking looking forward to that project. I hope that gets off the uh, the ground pretty soon. You're you're able to maneuver with that. Um, and I, I want to thank you again for coming on and speaking with us. This was, was great. Thanks, David. I appreciate the opportunity, and I uh, look forward to enjoying more segments of your show. Thanks so much. That was Susan Cushman, author and editor, most recently of a new nonfiction anthology entitled "Southern Writers on Writing." And that's our show. You've been listening to the Writer's Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This interview program as well as WRBH's other interview programs can be found online at our SoundCloud page, which is directed at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.